Okay, uh, this is his battle. He calls us to trust him in it. And um, let's continue to trust him today. Let's look at Acts chapter 7. I was thinking as they were singing that song, as uh, we had such an eloquent uh, statement that it's Jesus during our children's time, right? And that's the truth, it is. I got to thinking about how, how good God is to us as we count our blessings, all those songs we kind of sing. He doesn't just leave us out here to float in nothingness and wonder, does he care? He was with his people from the start. That's what this message is about from Stephen. He continues to guide us by his word. And, and if he'd just given us Jesus, it was enough. And then he gave us his word, which if we look at John 1, we can get theological about that. But he gives us the scriptures to know Jesus, to know him. And that's, that's such an amazing, wonderful truth that we need to wrap our minds, our hearts around today to cling to that. In, in the times that are uncertain, in those moments where you just don't feel good, in those, those places where you get confused about what God has in store for us, let's always, as His people, if we call ourselves a church, if, if anybody should know where to go, it's us. It's back to His Word, back to prayer, realizing that foundational truth God is love, and he loves us, and therefore he doesn't leave us where we are miring in our own muck. He pulls us up. He strengthens us. He guides us, and in those times where we're tired, and we don't feel good, and something happened, and we can't find something that we want, and, and all these other moments where we might get discouraged, he gives us his word. And it's been a remarkable thing for me to look, really look through this. I've mentioned this in the last couple of weeks as we've looked at Stephen's message here. How much is in that? You know, I, I, when I think about Stephen, I, I don't always think about what he preached. I think about what happens to him, right? Spoiler alert, it ends kind of rough here on earth for the guy. And we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But... The things that he shows us in this message about God and how God has been faithful from eternity past to guide his truth his, to his people and now fulfill it in Jesus. It's amazing. Uh, and I just thought I'd give you a heads up. Scott, uh, Scott's going to preach next Sunday. They weren't feeling well this morning, joining the club on that today. Uh, there's a lot of people I've gotten messages even like in the last 20 minutes. I'm not going to be there today. I'm not feeling well. So um, we noticed, and that's, that's good that we noticed, right? We, we miss people when they're not here. But anyway, when we, when we look at God's Word, uh, it, we, we see that it's important to stay consistent in it. So when Scott and I were talking about it, he, he asked me, what do you want me to preach? And I usually tell people, and you guys have preached for me, I try not to tell you. Stay in the Word. That's it. Stay in the Word, God's message. But Scott's going to continue in this message so that you get through it quicker, okay? We'll be, because I'm taking a couple of weeks off, uh, he's going to finish out the rest of Stephen's sermon here. So you're welcome. And, uh, and then in a couple of weeks, Mike Pratt will be here, and I haven't even told him we're in Acts chapter 7, so we'll see what he comes up with. Um, and then after that, we'll see 
the fulfillment, the conclusion of Stephen's life here on earth. And there are some remarkable moments along the way as we look at those things. And we continue in the middle. We're right in the middle of it all right now. He spends the majority of his message relating to the people of God about this man called Moses and then how Jesus fulfills Moses. And we're looking at about the first half of all that today. Um, Again, it's important, I think, to review how Stephen got here. How did he get to this moment? And if you go back in your Bible, I don't have it on the screen, use the word that you have in front of you. In verses 9 through um, 11, we see that the charge is, then some of, us who, some of those who belong to the synagogue of the freed men, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. Why does that matter? Because they were not uh, they were Hellenistic Jews. They were Greek Jews. They were from the, the, what was called the diaspora, the scattering. Okay, They could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Now, what was he saying? What had them so worked up? Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Now, That's all we get until Stephen starts talking when he's standing before the synagogue that that issues his death sentence, okay? We see that they are misunderstanding what Stephen is actually saying about Moses and God. They don't understand what's happening. So he actually spends an extended length of time in this message telling them how they messed it up. Now, you want to make some people happy with you? Tell them what they're doing wrong, right? And this is where we are. This is really the meat of it. He gives a little introduction. That's where we worked through the last couple of Sundays. And he said, it's two Sundays. Yes, it's two Sundays worth. We went through Abraham. We go through Joseph. Now he's going to spend the majority of the time with Moses. And you're going to, we're going to flesh that out a little bit here. But that's why he had been arrested, is because they, they, they interpreted what he was saying to be an attack against Moses and the law. And frankly, they had made the law their object of worship. Now, the law serves a purpose, and that purpose is to show us who God is. Okay? The Bible itself, even as God's word, the Bible is not our object of worship. It tells of the one whom we worship. That is God. It doesn't diminish its importance. Obviously, it's a very important, I mean, it's our, our number one core value. It's being Christ-focused, being Bible-centered, okay? That's where we find it. But we must remember that the Bible speaks of the God who created us and who redeems us. And so now we find that they're not happy with the preacher. And here's what he had to say. Let's stand together and honor the God of his word. Verses 17 through 29. 
But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, at this time Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed... Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came to his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He, sp uh, he supposed that his brothers... Uh, sorry, I lost the line there. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was, wrong, who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, You, who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Lord, this is a picture and moment in your grace and your plan. And thank you for the humanity in this man, Moses, that he was not one to be exalted, but one that you chose to fulfill your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, coming back to it again. If you need to sum these things up, you go back to Exodus chapter 1. Okay? Stephen provides a very thorough summary of what's going on. He even adds, adds in some extra details that we'll talk a little bit about here in a few moments. But um, we should see that God's plan is always in process on earth. Okay, doesn't change his truth. His truth is un changing it's inerrant it's always there but what we see in salvation history and that's kind of where i i entitled this whole message series the mini series the history of the gospel god's plan in salvation history has been a process and abraham was part of that process god gave him that promise uh, Joseph was part of that process and that he gave the children of Israel a rescue. And now he brings Moses into the picture as a Hebrew born in Egypt. Now, what, what's significant about Moses' life? Well, he was of the tribe of Levi, which matters later. At this moment, it didn't matter. It was, they were the children of Israel. The tribes don't find their spot ex except in Moses' lifetime beyond that. Okay, we don't really hear about tribes at that point because generations earlier, a couple of hundred years before this, we see that there's just 12 brothers. They're not tribes. They're just a family. Okay, not just a family, but you get what I'm saying there. And in their inheritance, it develops into the, these tribes of Israel and God brings his salvation through specific areas. Now, what we find in Moses is his life ends up being a bit prophetic for the, for the tribe that he ends up leading. He and his brother Aaron are of the line of Levi. Levi ends up being the priestly line. Okay? So, um, this matters to what 
Stephen is proclaiming before these people who are bringing this charge against him. Because the priests are the ones who are believed to hold all the authority when it comes to the word of God. And so if he's changing their understanding about who Moses is, he's changing their understanding about who they actually are. Because in the thousands of years that had passed since then, they had made it instead about God's faithfulness, instead of being about God's faithfulness, about following all the rules in the perfect way. I think that probably sounds familiar to a lot of us. Because we end up making our faith, the way we live out what God has done for us, about following rules in order that we might find pleasure in God's sights. Now, do, do good works please God? Yes, they do. Will those good works be enough to take away your death sentence? No, never. And that's really what we're getting to here, is that he's telling them that their job has been made obsolete. <laughs> now, anybody ever been laid off? Okay. Is that a very happy moment? Well, to overly simplify this, this is the kind of thing that's happening right here. Stephen is proclaiming Christ as the fulfillment of what Moses and Abraham and Joseph lived out in their day, which in effect makes all of their practices, all of the things they tell the people they have to do in order to please God, obsolete. That can hurt a few feelings along the way. That might just upset somebody, right? Um, so here we see, as the time of the promise drew near, again, time is relative with God, okay? And, and we saw it in that verse I read to the kids earlier, Hebrews chapter 1, in these last days. Okay, if that's written in the, uh, in the first century, and it is written in the first century, that now, those last days for us were 2,000 years ago. Some of you get really impatient about the last day of school, right? Or the last day before vacation, or whatever it may be. 2,000 years is a long time, and here we still are, okay? Here we still are. God's definition of the last days are different than what our interpretation always ends up being. Because there's a lot of people who want to check it off the calendar. And I make those people very angry with me. And I'm happy to make them angry with me. Because you don't, your calendar doesn't work. We don't know the day or the hour or the time that Christ returns. He has promised us he is with us until his return. And then we will be with him. Okay? Don't know when that's going to happen. I, yeah, I don't know. And you can have that conversation later. I've made people angry. And people actually have left churches where I spoke, including this one. Because I wouldn't predict when Christ would return. <laughs> Not a lot. <laughs> because I think if we're honest with what the Word of God says, okay. We can realize that. And that's where I always want to draw us back to is the Word of God. 
God's, God's faithfulness overshadows any of our expectations. He is faithful to do that. He is faithful to fulfill these things. The time of the promise drew near. That's how I got off on that. That was free, all right? You can get angry at me and we'll talk about it later. Which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. That's Exodus chapter 1. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they could, would not be kept alive. The devil has always been after the Hebrews, the children of the promise, the Israelites. Why? Because he knew salvation was coming through them. Okay? He's trying to prevent that from happening. We see this happen in Exodus chapter 1. We see it happen in John. I'm sorry, John. Well, John, no. Luke, and in Matthew, right? We see that he's not shy, the devil's not shy about taking out the innocents. And that's what was happening here. And if you know about the story of Moses, you know that his parents hid him, the, he, the Hebrew uh, midwife, and, and, and they, they hid him. They put him in a basket, floated him down the, the Nile. I remember all those pictures in, in my, like, First and second grade Sunday school class. I get it stuck in my head every time I start thinking about these things. But who finds Moses? Pharaoh's daughter. Now, daddy loves his daughter, and daughter loves the baby. So it works out for Moses that Miriam, his sister, sees this Pharaoh's daughter and then says, I know a lady who could nurse him. Guess who that was? Moses' mother. God's plan will not be thwarted. He is sovereign. I've used that word over and over in this particular message series, but that's what Stephen's bringing about here is a reminder that God is sovereign over all these things. He is the one who brings us together in it. Okay. So when we see God's, God's sovereignty, we, we find out that he is completely and entirely faithful in all that. Until there arose over Egypt, a king who did not know Joseph, verse 19. Uh, he dealt shrewdly, verse 19, verse 20. At, the time, at this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. That sums up what is said about the baby. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. When he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him in as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in his words and deeds. So he was respected. He was a Hebrew. His identity never was hidden. He knew he was a Hebrew. And now it comes to a place where he is respected in the land of Egypt. He then makes a pretty significant mistake. Verse 23 when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. So what's happening? An Egyptian and a Hebrew are going after each other. They're fighting. Moses decides he's going to show his Hebrew brothers that he is on their side. So he kills the Egyptian. He commits murder. Moses, the beautiful one, the one who would be the one who gives the law, the one that God works through to do this, he is a murderer. At the, at the onset of the story, not the culmination, the onset of Moses' story, we see his need for grace. 
even the one who was the lawgiver, as he is called, needed God's forgiveness. So, uh, I, I, was, I read through Exodus chap- the first several chapters of Exodus and, and relating to this, because this is a very brief summary of that. What happens? He kills the Egyptian. He doesn't think anybody sees him, and he buries him in the sand. What do you know about the sand? It doesn't take long for it to look like nothing happened. He thought he had erased it, but he was seen. Okay? He supposed that he would do this, but instead he would hide, he was going to hide his sin and go back to his Hebrew brothers and say, I'm on your side. Well, he goes back the next day, and on the following day appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to get them to stop fighting with each other. Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside. I love that picture. Thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you had killed the Egyptian yesterday? Just because somebody who is in charge does something that's wrong and you saw it happen doesn't mean it's okay for you to do it. That's a simple truth. That's not really the point of this passage. But it's something we must realize. Just because we see wrongdoing doesn't make it okay to say, I can do that with my life now because I saw that guy who's in charge do it. But that's also why leadership matters. That's why leaders must be humble. Why leaders need to submit their lives to the authority of God and Christ and, their wor- and His Word. Because it shows us of our great need for him. Now, what's Stephen's point in all this? Now, Scott's going to come back to a lot of this next week because we're going to see more and more of these things come together. But one of the things that was revealed to me, and that's one of the, the, the things I appreciate about working through, the, through books systematically is because there may be something that I catch this week that I totally missed last week. And this is one of those places. This charge against Stephen was that he was blaspheming Moses. Right? Moses and the law. Because they exalted the law to a place it didn't belong. It did not belong as their object of worship. And that's what was happening. And where did this worship occur? It occurred at the temple. Where were the apostles speaking at this moment? They were speaking in Solomon's Columnade, and the Pharisees and the chief of priests and the Sanhedrin and all these people were coming together, and they were hearing them in the Temple Mount, and they were saying that because they were speaking Christ as Lord, they were blaspheming Moses because of its location, because it was even in the Temple of the Lord. One of the things that's brought to light through Stephen's message here is that God was present with the people of Israel before the temple was even a thought in their minds. He spoke to Abram in the Ur of Chaldees, then in Haran, then in Beersheba, all these places throughout the Middle East that Abram traveled through, and then Abraham. He spoke to Joseph while he was in Egypt. He spoke to Moses in the desert in Midian. We're going to come to that, right? We talked about the burning bush a little bit here. And ultimately, he gives the law to Moses in Sinai. 
which is in the peninsula between Egypt and Arabia. All of these things are places where God met his people where they were. And ultimately, that's the truth that is being spoken by Peter, by John, by Stephen, by the time we get to Acts chapter 8, to Philip, is that they are saying that God leaves his throne in heaven and comes where we are. And we are called to be holy because he is holy. But he knows that we can't do it. So he gave the sacrificial system as a foretelling, and we're going to come back to that next time around through here. But he gives the sacrificial system as a foretelling of what would have to happen to the Messiah. That a price has to be paid for sin. And ultimately it's fulfilled once and for all in Jesus in these last days. So we see this fulfillment come to him. We cannot do it. If you think you can be good enough before God, I am glad to tell you and to break the news to you that it's impossible. But Christ made it you right. The work has been done for you. You receive that gift. And, and I'm honestly glad that I don't have to wonder if a, bur- a bush is going to burst into flames and words are going to come out of it, because I'm not sure how I would respond to that. I will say God knows how to get our attention. And he gives us his word so that we find him. Heaven is the dwelling place of God. God called the children of Israel to worship him wherever they were. We see that fulfillment come at the Temple Mounts. And we see the, temp- the first temple, Solomon's temple, built there. And then later what they call Herod's temple after the Babylonian captivity and their return. And, and we see that that's where they gather in this place. But, but Stephen is trying to, to make this point to them. And obviously it's going incredibly well. It's not for, for him on earth, by the way. But he's trying to tell them, you guys have missed the points. And sometimes, friends, we get a chance to have conversations with people and help uh, convince them. God's the one who does that, by the way. I can only speak truth, okay? God's the one who brings that understanding. He is the one who reveals that to us when we come to him and hear his word. But you and I, by God's grace, can answer that call, can receive the gift of salvation. God offers you forgiveness free and clear because the price has already been paid. I can't put Jesus back on the, throne, uh, on the cross. He's already on the throne. He sits at the Father's right hand and calls you to Him. The heaven, sorry, the throne of heaven is Christ's dwelling place. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he tells us now that the Holy Spirit is with us. The Holy Spirit takes up a dwelling place in us, and that's why we now are called to live holy as He is holy. But He gives us that, that ability. I can't do it. I might be able to make it look like I do it, but only Christ is the one who can cleanse. And that's what holiness is. He's the one that brings us to return to Him. Heaven is the throne. Earth is his footstool. And he came and he served those at his feet. The law is important. The law shows us our need for God. But he alone is the one who can bring us to salvation. The one who gave the law desires to save us. Remember anything out of this. It's that anything we do is insufficient to save us. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't do good things. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what Stephen's saying. It's saying that the thing we needed has been done. Have you received the gift that Christ offers today? Let's pray. Father, you are good to us. You are faithful. You are kind to us. You give us the opportunities for mercy and understanding. I thank you that we can uh, follow you and trust in you and your word today.